0: Hello and welcome to this Wednesday edition of Back to the Bible. We're continuing our series in the book of Colossians, The True Christian. So, we invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through to 14, as Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld brings us a message titled, The Knowledge of His Will.
1: I've often heard Christian people say things like, you know, I want to do God's will in my life. And when I hear it, I wonder what they mean or what they imagine that to be. There are some who think it means you know, they're to be called to full-time Christian work of some kind. I mean, doing God's will means you know, being a pastor, a missionary, Christian aid worker, something like that. And the rest of people you know, just have jobs and they might be Christian, but they're not really doing God's will. I mean, that view of things is incredibly wrong. But some people mistakenly hold that. A great many others, even though they don't feel called to full-time Christian work, think of something they can do when they think of doing God's work. You know, it might be that, you know, that person thinks that a part of their income must be, you know, supporting missions or some kind of ministry. Or it might mean that they're involved in some endeavor to bring good into people's lives. Now, I don't want to discourage that. You know, God wants us to be involved in furthering the gospel and in doing good. Is God's will, however, more comprehensive than that? When I was younger, a great many of us, young Christians like myself, when contemplating God's will for our lives, did think of our careers, or who we thought we should marry, or we thought about where in the world God wanted us to live, the list was quite long. But all of it was regarding something we were contemplating in the future, Doing God's will was making decisions regarding our future according to God's plan. And here the thought, at least by some, that if you make the wrong decision, you'd miss out on God's will for your life. And that was a real possibility to us. And because of this view of things, you know, I have listened to older people say, I have missed God's will. As we get older, some of those grand decisions that lie before us when we were still young are now behind us. But if we still care about such things we still seek the will of God. I mean, perhaps in the older years, we might think of ethical decisions that we make or how we're going to direct our children's lives, their education, their spiritual development. And then as we get still older and the years of looking forward in this life are, you know, surely running out, we might think of the will of God in terms of using the remaining years of our lives to serve others. Now, I hope you're listening because nothing that I'm saying is meant to be negative or is to be discouraged It is good and right to constantly ask, how can I be doing God's will, or how can I live in God's will? All people who care about their spiritual lives should be asking those questions. But yesterday, as we began our verse by verse study of Colossians, we noticed that Paul had been praying for the Colossians, or probably more accurately, he'd been thanking God for the Colossians. In the first section of this book, we noticed that Paul was giving thanks for the Colossian Christians, and we thought that was significant. Because we already had known that the Christians, you know, were facing genuine temptation to, to water down their faith by combining, you know, Christianity with various other philosophies and myths and popular traditions and creating a Christianity that was, you know, we might say more adaptable to the culture in which they lived. Yeah, that was their temptation. But nonetheless, Paul was thankful for their faith in Jesus as well as the love they had for others. But now we move from the prayers of thanksgiving to the prayers of intercession or the prayers of requests. Paul wants the Colossian Christians to know what he has been asking God when he's been praying for them. And that assumes, of course, that Paul is more than aware of what this church needs. So listen in as Paul prays for this church. I'm reading Colossians 1, 9 to 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, A great many commentators feel that these verses, the verses that we've now just read, that they actually form just one sentence in the Greek. Well, that appears to be the case, and so that makes it very difficult for us to grasp the central meaning. That is, actually, you know, Paul, what are you praying for? What is the key request? That is, what does Paul pray that God would give this church? Now, if you pay close attention to what we've read, you're going to notice there is a principal request that comes very close to the beginning of this passage. Paul is praying that the Colossian Christians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That is, that they would be absolutely certain about what God wants. That's how we began this message today. If you want to know if you're in God's will, well then listen up. You might just learn something about what God's will for your life is. Indeed, Paul thinks this is such an important prayer that he says, and notice that important phrase, that he's not ceased praying for this very thing. And you have to imagine. That Paul has these believers in some kind of a prayer list. And as he prays, every time he prays, and he prays for them quite often, and when he does, he keeps repeating that one theme, O Lord, that they might know your will, that they might know your will, that they might know your will. See, the assumption here is that they don't know God's will, and that is the source of all of their problems. I mean, you guys think about how counterproductive it is for people to want to live as Christians or for people to seek to live lives pleasing to God, and yet they don't know what God wants. Think about that same problem today, and that might be your problem. You want to live as a victorious Christian, a joyful Christian, a Christian who, when he or she stands before God, in the end of the day will hear your Savior say, Well done! But all the while you're struggling, aren't you? What does God want for me? How can I know if I'm doing God's will? Or maybe I've missed it. So Paul wants this knowledge, that is, the knowledge of the will of God in the lives of these believers, to be in all spiritual wisdom, and all spiritual understanding. So start with that word, spiritual. So what does Paul mean when he uses that word? So compare that to the phrase, spiritual knowledge, with a word simply, Knowledge. You know, knowledge, as we know, is about facts. It's about truth. It's about important things that we need to know. It's about right versus wrong, good versus evil, truth versus error. Christians need knowledge. We can't know God's will without growing in knowledge. How foolish to constantly ask, what is your will, O God, for my life, and then not be growing in the knowledge of God. Let me put it plainly. Biblical illiteracy, It's the biggest problem. You don't know scripture? Well, you've got to learn it. See, there's little point in wringing your hands about what God wants of you when you don't know God's revelation of himself in the Bible. Knowledge, basic knowledge of God and his word, it's imperative. And yet Paul insists that it has to be spiritual knowledge. So what's that? Well, now I'm reading 1 Corinthians 8, 1 3. Paul writes, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. See, there's a kind of knowledge, says Paul, that leads to arrogance. And this can be true about theological knowledge. Knowledge outside of love, knowledge outside of the ways of God. Knowledge that doesn't lead us deeper into the heart of God. That's knowledge to be sure, but it's knowledge that's not spiritual. Instead, it's pride-filled. That's the same with wisdom. Wisdom is skill in living. Living by making wise choices that lead to long-term positive outcomes. But what if all wisdom is wrapped up in ourselves and not in living for God's glory? Well, then wisdom might lead us to be wealthy, to be sure, and healthy, and to be at ease. But we're doing nothing that pleases God. We're actually only living for ourselves. Now, when Paul prays, he wants the Colossian Christians to know God's will well, but this must be in spiritual wisdom and in spiritual understanding. Now, why does Paul want that? Why does he pray for that with such fervency? And he answers that question in the beginning of verse 10. He wants the Colossian Christians to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That is, he wants their lifestyles, their way of living, that is, lived before God, and that's observed by the wider non-Christian community in their city to result in praise to God. In short, Paul is praying that the Colossian Christians should be so familiar with, a, with the will of God in their lives so that there's a consistency in what they profess and believe to be true as well as in how they live. The opposite of that, as we all know, is called hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is to profess one thing and to live the other. No one likes the hypocrite, and we shouldn't either. So Paul's praying for the Colossian Christians. And later on in the letter, he'll deal with a matter of syncretism and many false philosophies that tempt to bewilder these believers and will make them vulnerable... But for now, Paul wants the believers in that city to know that he and his team is praying fervently for one thing. He wants them to know the knowledge of his will, so that this would lead them to walk in a way that truly pleases the Lord.
0: This is Back to the Bible, Bible teaching you can trust You know, it's amazing how many persons have testified that they were introduced to Back to the Bible as children, listening in the car as they made their way to school, or at home, listening on the radio with their parents or even grandparents. Back to the Bible is committed to the sowing of God's word in the hearts of men, women and children, not just in Jamaica but across the Caribbean and indeed the world. The good news is that you can stand with us in our commitment. Your prayers help prepare the soil and your donations help us to plant the seed of truth through our varied ministry outlets. And so we ask that you prayerfully consider making a donation to this ministry to help us with our commitment. What ever the Lord lays on your heart to give will go a far way in helping us plant the seed of God's word in the hearts of individuals. Donations can be made via online bank transfer or in bank deposit. Our business checking account is with the Halfway Tree branch of the Bank of Nova Scotia, account number four two eight three one. 0 that's our business checking account number 428310 at the halfway tree branch of scotia bank checks can be sent to us via mail to back to the bible box 123 kingston 10 jamaica please make checks payable to back to the bible of course you can always come by our office in Hagley Park Plaza to drop off your donation or make your contribution via our point-of-sale machine. Now, as we get back to the Bible, here once again is Bible teacher John Newfeld.
1: When Paul speaks about what pleases the Lord, Paul tells the Colossian Christians that he's praying for four specific things, four things that he knows that if they walk this way, they will truly please the Lord. So let's look at each one of these four things, each one in turn, and notice that when we do that, we're going to find out what definitely pleases God. First, we see it there in verse 10, that they may bear fruit in every good work. Now, good works, that has to do with the things that we do. Keeping God's commands, serving others, showing love, sharing the gospel with others, giving sacrificially to the Lord's work, helping the poor and the needy, using our gifts to serve the church as well as others. These are good works. Now, bearing fruit in good works means that the good works are effective. They're having an impact. They're accomplishing those things that they intend to accomplish. It's not a good work that has no impact. It's a good work that's overwhelmingly effective. It helps, it serves, it cares, it brings others to Christ. Paul says that you're walking worthy of God if you are bearing fruit in every good work. Second, you're walking worthy of God if, and notice the last phrase in verse 10, if you're increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, this knowledge of God must be both experiential as well as objective. So what's objective knowledge of God? Well, that means growing in what the Bible teaches us about God. That there is a Trinity, one being who is God, eternally existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It means growing in the knowledge of God's attributes, His righteousness, His holiness, His love, compassion, His wrath and His jealousy. His omnipotence and His omnipresence. That kind of a thing. But more than that, it's also paying attention to Scripture and to the actions of God in history. But experiential knowledge of God has to also be added to that. For as we repent of known sins, and as we seek God for mercy and grace, and as we seek to ascertain His hand at work in our lives, we're knowing God experientially. And so if you're going to walk worthy of the Lord, you're going to have to bear fruit in good works, you'd have to grow in the knowledge of God. And then third, this is the mouthful, and it covers all of verse 11, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. See, the third thing Paul prays for is that the Colossian believers would be made strong. I mean, you think of the opposite. Think of a person who's weak. They're easily overcome by temptation. They're easily led astray to false teaching. They're easily confused by arguments. Whatever their present direction, their pathway is easily altered. They are what James describes in James 1 verse 8, as the double-minded man who's unstable in all his ways. Strengthened with power, that's what Paul prays. Let me put it this way. When a person grows in the knowledge of God, that person's strength increases. As well, that person will be more courageous and be able to fight every battle that comes before them. We have to think of Paul in prison. Remember, he's writing this letter from prison. And when he wrote the Philippians, he speaks about being hungry and in want. And he says in Philippians 4.13 that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And that's the idea. Facing death, facing mistreatment, facing uncertainty, none of those things diminished Paul. And notice here, says Paul, strengthened with power according to his glorious might. That's quite a phrase. Let's put it another way. That might help us to understand. Let's use an analogy. Think of the wealthy billionaire. Let's say that billionaire wants to strengthen your bank account according to that billionaire's glorious wealth. <laughs> That'd be quite a thing. But what is it for a Christian who have grown in the knowledge of the power of God would now conclude in rightly that God's power has no limitations in my life? Well now, says Paul, that's what I've been praying for for you that the God who knows no end of power, whose power is never lacking, that this is the power that gives you power. Quite frankly, Christians who understand that are the toughest people on the earth. No setback, no heartache, no disappointment, no temptation, no human philosophy will militate against their faith or can make them turn back. Paul knows what this power is for. It's for all endurance and patience with joy, he says. You might need to stop there, just simply take that in. I mean, you imagine the person who can go through any trial and not only endure it, but they can endure it with joy, not with with frustration and anger, not with despair and hopelessness, but endurance, with patience, all the while filled with joy. That's possible, no matter what you've been told. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can be on top of the world, as we like to say. Or at the same time being told by a doctor that you have an illness that's going to be difficult and you're going to suffer a great deal. And you can do either one of those two things with power, with steadfastness, patience, and even joy. And Paul knows that's possible. He also knows that this is a fruit, if you will, of walking a life that's worthy of the Lord. He knows that's the will of God for his people. Now fourth, you're walking worthy of God, and this borrows from the phrase, with joy, notice verse 12, You're walking worthy of God when you're giving thanks to the Father. Stop here and remember that the Christian life is a life that is characterized by thankfulness to the Father. It's the hallmark of the Christian life. Thankfulness to God, gratefulness to God, always and in all circumstances giving thanks. And Paul mentions this first and foremost reason for our thankfulness is that he has qualified us. That is, he's qualified us by the blood of Jesus, his son, who died for our sins, to share in the internal inheritance that lies before us. Stop and consider what we've learned. It should be apparent to us that when Paul speaks of the will of God, well, he does so very differently than so many people do today. You might recall when I began this section by speaking about how people deal with the will of God. What decisions should I make in the future regarding my marriage and career or where I live? And as we get older, what decisions you know, around where we live and raise our kids? All of these things. Paul never speaks that way. He speaks about the person who lives a consistent lifestyle, who's bearing fruit in their works, who's increasing in the knowledge of God, who's strong to endure the challenges of life and faith, and who lives in an attitude of constant thankfulness. Live that way. And you are in the will of God. And again, that tells me that so many of us have this matter of discovering the will of God for our lives all wrong. We're focusing on the wrong things. Oh no, we say. If I make a wrong decision here, I'll be out of the will of God. And all the while, it's never been about, you know, if you should choose to be a doctor or a lawyer or a missionary or pastor. Or if you should marry Sally or Rebecca. Rebecca. It was always about whether we know God and live according to His Word and be active in serving and learn to see the hand of God in everything and learning to be thankful in all things. And having said that, Paul adds a reason for us to be grateful. We find that in verses 13 and 14. This will be the key to the entire book of Colossians. He means here the Father. In our salvation, when Christ saved us, we were delivered from Satan's realm of darkness. We were once citizens of his kingdom, of Satan's kingdom. And as citizens of the realm of darkness, our lives were governed by the rules of that society. But conversion changed our citizenship. Those of you listening to me who have undergone a change of citizenship, you know this kind of language. And you no doubt have images of what this entails. In some instances, that involved a change of language and a change of the way you dress. It might have changed what you ate. What was required of you in social settings? Sometimes in order to explain how dramatic this change is, experts call it culture shock. Because everything that you thought you knew about life is turned upside down. After a while, you wonder who you actually are. Look, true conversion is even more dramatic than that. Once we were citizens of the dark Lord's kingdom, in which we were subjects of death and of anything, no matter what it was, that was opposed to the being of God and the purposes of God, we were rebels and we were doomed. And then notice who did this. We didn't do this. It was God who did it, who delivered us from the country of darkness and transferred our citizenship to the kingdom of his beloved Son, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of a king who is Jesus. And it is this king who has freed us, redeemed us from our slavery. He paid the price for us, and now we have been given forgiveness. And now we've learned to live according to the customs of this new kingdom. We've learned to love one another. We've learned to serve one another. And above all, we've learned to bend the knee to the king and call him Lord. And in all things, we've learned to give him thanks. And all of this is the will of God. And we have to understand that the temptations the Colossians faced regarding the attractive philosophies around them, Paul knows that those temptations are overcome and they are put behind them permanently if only they will know the will of god as it truly is same's is true for us know the will of god know what it truly means act according to it and may that be your portion be filled with the knowledge of god's will and you will be victorious in all things
0: Thanks so much, Dr. John. Uh, Let me ask you this. Do you think we have somehow created wrong expectations or understandings about what the will of God is and what it's about?
1: Yes, I I really do think that we have. And I'm reminded here, you know, even as you ask the question of a elderly man I once uh, had a conversation with, he told me that when he was a young man, he felt called to be the pastoral ministry. He said no and ever since then he said, I've known I've missed God's plan for my life. That's a tragedy. You know, and I think about it. I mean, if that man said no then, um, and yet at the same time after that repented, never got into ministry but at the same time was faithful, uh, did the will of God in everything, uh, gave thanks in all circumstances, continued to be faithful to You know his wife, uh, to the kids that he was raising, to his own church. I mean, that man should have lived a joyful life, knowing that God was at work in all situations in life. So, rather than looking at one circumstance and saying, I missed it here, rather to think much more holistically about what it means to be faithful, uh, to be a servant of Christ in all things, uh, and so forth, that's the will of God. And when we do the will of God, we're in the will of God. So I think that's as simple as that.
0: Thanks for joining us today here on Back to the Bible, brought to you by Back to the Bible Broadcast Jamaica in partnership with listeners who give in support of this ministry. Our office is located at shop number twenty-two, Hagley Park Plaza, Kingston Ten. Our office hours are from Mondays through to Fridays from eight thirty AM through to four PM. We can be contacted via email at back to the bible ministry at gmail.com our office number is 8769265765 and our cell and whatsapp number is 8763376295 to listen to this study again or some of our previous studies They are available in our free mobile app along with other Bible engagement material. Just look for BTTB Jamaica in your app store. That's BTTB Jamaica. You can also listen from other podcast platforms including Podbean, Google, Spotify and Amazon Music. Be sure to look for Back to the Bible Jamaica. And before we go, we have in stock the 2024 edition of Our Daily Bread, available from our office here at Back to the Bible for $500 each. Debit and credit cards are accepted. We invite you to join us again tomorrow as we continue in our series in the book of Colossians, The True Christian, with a message entitled, Christ, Supreme in Creation. That's tomorrow, right here on Back to the Bible, Jamaica, seeking to bring you closer to Jesus today than you were yesterday.